Welcome to the Crash Course Podcast. Uh, so, I have a bit of news to start off this week's podcast. So, I, at last minute, last week, found out that I was going to get to go to the Hobbit Red Carpet premiere, as John scowls at me, indignantly. As many people have scowled oh, I've at gotten you. so much for it. He's but not even a Tolkienist. That's not true. No, you're not a Tolkienist until you've read The Silmarillion. A Whatever. T- a Tolkienist. It's I still the, he, he who studies Tolkien. Okay, I'm a Jack, uh, um, a Peter Jacksonist. A so Jack- I like all of his movies. A Jacksonian. A Jacksonian. A P. Jacksonian. Not to be confused with the other Jacksonians, because I know you're out there, and you're probably crying. Anyway, so <laughs> I got to go to the uh, the Red Corp- Carpet premiere of The Hobbit, and we'll get more into that a bit later, but it was amazing, um, provided you like that kind of a thing. I imagine if you hate dwarves and elves, you'll hate this movie, too. But then you also have no soul. Let's put it this way. To go to the red carpet premiere of anything is kind of cool. Yeah, and for The Hobbit... Even if it's not your thing. Like, but, but The Hobbit was kind of pretty high profile. And who did you meet? Chevy Chase. Wow. Which was kind of awesome and, you know, awkward as you'd expect Chevy Chase to be. He's I, not really relevant anymore, He's though. not... He has not been relevant in so long. <laughs> community! I he think, was relevant on Community. Oh, I forgot. Yes, he had. Community! I forgot about that, too. Yeah. And, and that's a very awesome show. But um, I got to introduce myself to him. I forgot about that. <laughs> yes. But I got to meet him. I got to wave at Sir Ian McKellen, and he waved back, and that was cool. I like Sir Ian. He's, he's, he's actually one of my favorite actors right now. I want him to be my grandpa. I really just want him to be my grandpa. It'd be awesome. He seems like the coolest old man ever. I can think of other grandpa people out there, grandpa actors like uh, Sean Connery. Oh, such a grandpa! Yeah, yeah. talk about the most awesome grandpa too. Yeah, like all the stories, I'd be riveted. Oh, he yeah. could tell like a five-hour. I'm tale. sure Sir Ian McKellen's got stories too, listening. though. I mean, the dude was Magneto and Gandalf. My hand would be pasted to my chin during his tales. But um, alas, get, it is not to be. Getting back on track, though. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I've been pretty much in, engrossed in all things Lord of the Rings and, and The Hobbit. Um, been re-listening to the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. I've been playing the Lego Lord of the Rings game, which, because it's made by Warner Brothers, has all the rights to all of that music. And um, vocals. The and voice vocals. acting. The voice is. acting is in it as well. And it's very good. Between the, they spaced the pantomime in between the voice casting, and it, it actually was done very well. Um, but I've been completely addicted to... The scraps of the Hobbit soundtrack I can find on the internet because it's not out yet. It doesn't come out till the 11th. Uh, well, the movie doesn't come out till the 14th. Yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> there's that. I did see it a whole week early. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway. Just so he can rub it in and smile. But, um, well, the funniest thing is, as upset as John was, we have a friend who was more upset, and that's my friend Rob. Who has swords from Lord of the Rings on his he, wall. He's that kind of guy. He wanted to kill me. I'm surprised he didn't kill you with, yeah. said, with said swords. Yeah, I'm surprised as well. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but yeah, so I've been kind of engrossed in a very scorn soundtrack mood, which is perfect for this week's podcast. But um, uh, uh, I still one of my favorite soundtracks. Obviously, Star Wars is up there, but so is the Lord of the Rings movies. They had such a great, great soundtrack. More is to be said on Star Wars. Yeah, well, both. I mean, both. There's a lot to say about both, but yes, of course. Um, but moving forward, uh, that was pretty much what I'd really been listening to. Uh, yeah. Have you guys been listening to anything specific this week, really? Or I've been doing double and triple shift overtime, so the only thing I'm getting is so much more Christmas music. <laughs> uh, in the last 36 hours, I've worked 27, so that's my life right now. <laughs> mm. Well, I said more has... 
more is to be said on Star Wars, so I might as well say Star Wars. That that's what I've been listening to. Specifically, yeah. like the entire wrap up to the end of the original trilogy, mm-hmm. with the whole closing sequence of Return of you the Jedi. You mean the only trilogy? Um, of course, yes, or uh, yes, um, has to leave me. I kind of want to quit my job and just watch Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Star Wars, just so I watch all these movies in a row that are just so much information at once. John, when the holiday season is over, we're watching Lord of the Rings back-to-back. We're doing it. Back-to-back-to-back in special edition. We'll have to borrow um, George's Blu-rays or go to George's house and watch them there. He'll do it. The extended cut Blu-rays. We'll have a a sleepover party. We're not going to sleep. No, but uh, but I, that's why I did finger quotes, fans who can't see my hands. Can I persuade you guys to come to a Philharmonic uh, rendition of the original Star Wars soundtrack? I've actually heard one of their earlier I would ones. Go to that I actual, wait, is that live, like a thing? Is like that live. happening? People do it every once in a while. An occasional Philharmonic orchestra will feature it. If they do it, we should go and cover the event. Yes, that would be a great idea. <laughs> you guys will hear about this. Okay, but uh, moving forward, so... Uh, uh, this so Steve, week- Steve is making pantomime at me. No, I'm breaking the fourth wall. Steve's making pantomime <laughs> at me while I'm trying to get to the next bit. And he's pointing frantically at the computer. Anyway, um, so we have another... Uh, Schedules! <laughs> we have another fan email this week. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to Steve so he can read that to us. Read it aloud. Ah, uh, yes. Our mail. Um, comment! Hi. Your short article writing seriously very good, if they so wish. We make buddies. You may also take a look at my blog. Buy cheap jerseys. So thank you for that. Wait, uh, we make buddies. Is it? Is I want to reach out to him. Is it buy cheap jerseys or is it buy buy cheap jerseys? Um, cheap jerseys wrote it. I I, oh. I assume his surname is cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't his surname be Jersey? Jersey, sorry, jerseys. <laughs> this was written in all caps, wasn't it? Uh, I know it's just his his punctuation. It's very assertive. We make buddies. That that's not up for questioning. <laughs> <laughs> this is happening. What's a buddy? I don't want to know. Anyway, um, I hope he's not from Jersey. Well, thank you for that, <laughs> Mister Jerseys. Um, we'll take that into consideration. Moving on. Uh, this week is a little different. Um, last week, after the po- recording the podcast, the three of us went to see Wreck It Ralph. Uh, upon my recommendation, because I had really enjoyed it, the new Disney flick. Uh, Disney branching out and doing a computer animation movie by themselves. Their first one since Tangled. And this is their first non-musical um, that they've done since Tangled in that vein. Um, Actually, it's one of the first non-musicals in quite some time. Yeah. We, we looked it up. They, they, Disney, if the, Disney's on its own, they like to sing. They do. Um, the, the last non-musical movie they did, actually, of its type, I believe, was Bolt, was just True Disney, which didn't do well. But, mm. needless to say, Wreck-It Ralph has been doing very well, and it was a, a very good movie. I did enjoy it myself, um, as well as the guys. We'll get more into that detail as we go through the soundtrack. But, of course, that means this week our album of choice, my pick, is the Wreck-It Ralph soundtrack. We did to do a soundtrack on here, and I wanted to do one that was relevant We'd been wanting to do Dark Knight Rises, but it got to a point where the movie theaters already come out of theaters, and we were going to try and save it for a guest that we were going to have on, and it just never we, got around to it. We always stick with what's relevant, because we're pop culture horse. Yeah, we're uh, trying to anyway, but we'll definitely... That's what Matt is trying to push me and John into being, so I don't know if he's successful yet or not. <laughs> definitely you've made headway towards it, for sure. <sighs> Much to my chagrin. Okay, well, if you just catch yourself watching MTV, I'll, I'll be there for you, buddy. Okay. All right. You got, you got to... Like, With the arsenic. You got to 
catch my fall if I'm going down. Okay. So Wreck It Ralph official soundtrack. Um, so the I like the soundtrack and it was a choice of mine because it was an interesting mix of both recorded songs with lyrics as well as a score together. Disney's done that a lot in the past where it's a musical, so there will be songs sung interspersed with the instrumental tracks between. This, the soundtrack composition, was a little different. It starts out the first six tracks being by various artists, and then the rest of the soundtrack after that, the score, is done by Henry Jackman, known for Kick-Ass and X-Men First Class fame. Um, He also is, I think, the next movie he's working on is the new G.I. Joe. We'll see how that goes. Moving on. The reason for that division, I think, is pretty straightforward. I mean, after all, it is Disney, so it is a kid's movie. Yeah. So the jump-up-and-down pop tracks clearly placed in the beginning. Yeah. That way, the kids are going to latch on to this really easily. Yeah. Because I'm not so sure they would grapple with the uh, platoon-esque, you know... Death and sinister tracks that appear around like track sixteen seventeen here. Okay, no, it doesn't go quite so deep. But yeah. I will say it is Fantasia dark. Yeah, yeah. later I, on actually, I was eighteen say nineteen. This, like, wait, they well, they push that got, stuff way down. Well, in the I track. know you guys are saying that that kind of breaks out of this overall overall arc that we were seeing in the soundtrack. I have to argue that also there are plenty of Disney movies that had music. Instrumentals that have gotten that dark before. It's happened. Oh, totally, but not that always open with it. Like, for instance, uh, it's funny you mentioned Fantasia, because there were a lot of kids that were quite scared by a lot of that, the, the whole aesthetic going on. I love that. I know, I was that kid too. That was I, awesome. I dug that up. I'm just saying, I'm not the typical kid. The no. devil was conducting an orchestra with souls. It was amazing. It was Chernabog, actually, specifically. Yes. But uh, getting back to the soundtrack, the first track was by a band. Uh, called Alice City, well known for doing very techno-y kind of pop tracks. Um, song when I can, when can I see you again? It's featured during the uh, the credits of the the nice eight bit sequence at the end of the movie. So to have it as the intro track is kind of odd, but I understand why. This and Wreck It, Wreck It Ralph are kind of the two singles from the re- from the soundtrack. So they're the it's, it's not odd. Like I said, it, kids will get this. It's jump up and down, bubble gummy, very. Cutesy wootsy, and it's stuff. also been featured. It's almost it, a single, maybe the wrong word, but it's darn close because this was one of the songs featured in uh, many of the previews. Yeah, this was it was title track almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, when can I see you again? Was very bubblegum, very sweet and fun and upbeat. It's a heartwarming song. It's a fun kind of friends together song. You know, it also did have um, some. It, it was pop. Yeah, like there was absolutely. a lot of pop, but it did include things like strain work that I wasn't uh, expecting. It was guitar, particularly uh, a, a simple but but uh, layered very well. It was a great intro for the actual album here. Yeah. yeah. Um, next then, next track I actually liked a lot more. So Wreck It Wreck It Ralph is by uh, uh, Buckner and Garcia, it, and it was designed to be a very, very clearly an 80s cartoon show theme. Like, this was the theme for the cartoon that spun off of the old arcade game. That's what it was supposed to be. And it, it gave that away. I mean, the whole first verse is about Wreck-It Ralph, and the whole second verse is about Fix-It Felix, and then the whole tail end of the song is about the battle. And, you know, it pretty much explained their origins. It had some... Uh, actually, the lyrics were kind of funny. Yeah. I did enjoy yeah. that. It, it wasn't was so silly. on the nose that you would expect with, I mean, with one, a, a cartoon-ish yeah. One of those style. obvious choices because yeah. of the whole record, record. Like, you know, yeah. they chose it because it, it's just, it's right there. It's yeah. plain as front of your face. Yeah. 
And then, then with that track, I mean, we go into the third track. The third track, I love the fact that it was in this movie because I thought it was so appropriate on so many levels, even though it's been overdone. And I it, would also call this kind of an obvious giveaway. Yeah, as and far that's as... Celebration by Cool and the Gang. Yeah. And... and it, it gets deeper than this, though, because, you know, Celebration has been used so many times. Celebration, come on. Like, everybody, everybody uses it. If you're young, old, and actually particularly old at this point, because the song is, is getting up there in age, um, you could just have a bunch of old people, you know, dancing and having fun to this, and you're like, yeah, hey, yeah, go old people. And it kind of was just that case yeah. in it, this. It merged the older, while still... They were okay. the old characters, is yes. what I'm saying. They and, were... But it merged the older tune of the first two tracks, which was more towards the 80s, and and showed it in a little bit of uh, uh, retrospect. Yeah, the, the middle-aged uh, go-to-work-every-day, which in this case is, is doing your acting job in the video game, yeah. and then coming back and... And having a good time. Yeah. Middle-aged idea of fun. And it was just, it was funny because, you know, first of all, Wreck-It Ralph, within this universe of the movie, is the Donkey Kong of its generation. It's an old arcade game that's been around forever, kind of just doing its thing. And this song is played in the party scene for their 30th anniversary, and it's the characters, the NPCs in the in the game are all elderly-looking characters, except for Fix-It Felix and Wreck-It Ralph. The rest of them all look fairly middle-aged, so it's very appropriate for the scene and for the for the feel of it's, the party. It's the only song that I could envision using for a 30th anniversary of anything, yeah. to be honest. I mean, it's like, yeah, we've been doing this, let's just keep doing it. <laughs> and then we get to track four. Now, track four was Sugar Rush by AKB48, um, a, I can only assume a Japanese pop band, considering the, the entire set of lyrics was in Japanese except for the chorus, but it was a very sugary sweet, very appropriate for the theme of a cart racer based in a world made of candy. It was, okay. very, it was a very cute track, and I did really you, did like the melody. Okay, if you enjoyed this, this is why you have to listen to Jet Set's soundtrack, because this is the perfect example of the kind of music you get with it. I got that It's vibe. a video game Jap pop rock, and yeah. I've listened to quite a bit of this. Um, it did fit the thing, it actually went... From the previous track, it progressed the music. Yeah, it was very, very which much. Sounds really odd. Yeah, because you're talking to very, very opposing styles of music that have a lot more in common than most people may imagine. Yeah, and this song merged into uh, uh, an even more modern, I guess, or more out there from the '80s sound. So, yeah, this was the breakout track as far as I'm concerned. Everything up to this was just set up. This, I, this was where it, it actually brought up a unique quality that was uh, I could only see in, the, in the, this film itself. Track five was Bug Hunt by Skrillex. Now, Skrillex had a small cue in the party scene. He was actually featured his, an animated version of himself in the party scene in the movie, which was funny enough. But he actually created the song for the first-person shooter game, um, and the song was called Bug Hunt, and you got very much a scent of a sense of modern sci-fi shooter in this track. Like, it, it fit it, the style so perfectly. The way I, I can best be described because he did he did draw from eight bit roots to start this track. It started as I guess eight bit industrial techno. I think would be the best way. For it started me to do it. very. It actually started very soft and built its way up, but yeah. the layering in this track was was absolutely. 
mind-blowing. As far I, as I'm concerned, I am so glad that a track like this is on a soundtrack that would otherwise be meant for kids. Because the rhythms in here, really complex. Very reminiscent of early Daft Punk, which I would consider the, the, the best of electronica. No, no, not, I would not put Daft Punk at the top of like the rhythmically uh, developed, though. I think they're better at layering, perhaps. They're definitely at the top of that category, but the rhythms are what I'm talking about. In that case, I would probably go to something like Square Pusher, although that might be a little bit out of left field for to ask actually ask wow. a kid to go for that. He's got Steve's, some chops. No, Steve's showing off his, his, his techno chops. I'm loving this. But the thing yeah. I liked about this no, track... No, I had techno chops, huh? No. The thing, <laughs> nope. the thing I love about this track, though, is... I mean, it's clear we've talked about dubstep, obviously, before many times on this podcast. And there's clearly talent within dubstep, but Skrillex truly shows that there's a future for the genre if they do more like this. As much as the boom, boom, boom kind of pounding techno... With blender overlays. ...is okay, yeah. this is what real... Mixed, high-quality production work is about. It's about yeah. this kind of beautiful rhythms, layers, you know, a flow. This song told a story. The emotion the emotion you feel watching um, Wreck-It Ralph frantically run around a game he's not supposed to be in, trying to fumble around next to a giant computer known as the first-person shooter. Like, you get that sense just from the song. You could probably get that kind of sense even without seeing the movie. This is very much a standout track. Yeah, this is the proof that dubstep is not clear cut and dry. Yeah, like I said, I I really appreciate that this is uh, on a kid's soundtrack because the vast majority of kids' music out there, where I understand that it's you know supposed to be digestible, easy to dance to, supposed to get kids into dancing. This is not for that young of kids. This is for you know the the upper broaching ten in that. Field. But it I doesn't feel like... alienate the young kids either. No, no, because there's certainly nothing doesn't. certainly doesn't. In it. But like, there's nothing bad in my opinion right. about putting a, a complicated rhythmic track here because that seeps into the kid's brain. That's going to get them later on in life, and uh, that can only be a good thing. That's true. Moving on to track six, "Shut Up and Drive" by Rihanna. Now, I'm not a really a Rihanna fan by any stretch. I mean, she can sing, but her music's not really for me. Not necessarily bad, just not really for me. However, this song. The first thing and the funny thing about it is, so listening to this track, since the rhythms were good but kind of simple, Steve very quickly noticed the lyrics, and while obviously this was used very literally in the movie for when Vanellope's learning how to drive, the entire song is actually from Rihanna's actual album, it wasn't written for the soundtrack, and it's one giant metaphor for sex. Yeah, I'm not usually, like, you know, picking up on, like, lyrical metaphors, but this is pretty straightforward. But the funny thing about this (laughs) is that Disney movies and well-made kids movies always did this. Included stuff that was for the adults as well. And this song is clearly more for the adults or the older kids to kind of, you know, the teenagers, to kind of get that kind of... There's a a whole... I, I wouldn't even... Okay, cult following of pointing out adult themes in Disney movies. There's a lot of things a lot kids of... don't notice, and people have poured over and gone back and pointed out and say, "Look right here! Look right a here! Disney's times, messed well, up." See, I agree. I agree that a lot of time it's forced because people, you know, looking for something to complain about or something to say. Think of the children, but, but in I this think... case, it's really straightforward. Well, I think also in this case, and in the case of a lot of the new DreamWorks movies as well, there's just humor that's going to go over the kids' heads because they're just not old enough to understand it, but it's not necessarily wrong or lewd. It's just over their head. It's for the adults. It's, yeah, I mean, drive I like that. Drive means drive a car at that age. You're really not going to get that too much farther. You're not revving someone else's engine. Right? I, I, <laughs> I would liken it to Ghostbusters. I've talked about this a few times. 
times, they're bringing back the adult but kitty jokes. Yes. Mm. Which is great, because that means you're going to have something new. Not just listening to music, but watching a movie, growing up. Drive me all night. Well, um, what I mean, what I mean is, you will be able to watch something you've seen before, listen to something you've heard before, and experience something in a, new in a new way. Yeah, I get that. I get yes. that. I'm and not going to be an old man curmudgeon here. I, I I have really no problem with that kind of thing. It's just a little. I don't know. It separates itself from the rest of the soundtrack, I suppose. So, but uh, and speaking of separating, so this is where the soundtrack ends for songs that were created. By various artists. Now you, you could almost say that that's the end of the soundtrack. This is the beginning of the score, score. as it were, or the spliced score. So track seven, start a track simply called "Wreck It Ralph," um, is the start of the score, and this is done by Henry Jackman. Um, the first song I really love, the song "Wreck It Ralph," and this is a theme and a, and a set of notes that show up throughout other songs in the soundtrack. It sets a great pace and creates interest for the overall storyline. Mm-hmm. In the movie, it's of course narrated over by the main character, but it stands up on its own. Yeah, it, it does. really, it really gives you a good introduction. Now, here's this where... is the state of life as it is. Now. Yeah. Soundtrack versus score, we're getting a very clear division in here. I did not like the way it started that. I did not like it doing that in this case. It stopped, restarted the whole album for me. Yeah, no, I, I agree no, with that. That was a little bit of a, a, a downer. Truth, truthfully, for me, if I were to burn this onto a CD, I'd burn them separately. Or I would actually... It would, be a, some... it would be a two-disc set with one yeah. through six and then seven through 25. Yeah. I would even try to put them in order as they appear in the in movie. In the movie, yeah. Which I think actually, might have actually done something more solid for this. Sort because... of like an Aladdin soundtrack, which we looked at earlier, where it has, you know, Cave of Wonders, and then it has, you know, whatever. You know, it has the score There's interlittered with the song. Song interlude, song interlude. It breaks up the monotony and... Tells the story forward. Now yeah, this right. be an interesting like project. I, actually, like I do. said, though, the reason for that I'm sure is for the children. They want to grab the kids. They're not going to grab for the children for the Think children. Think of the children. <laughs> They're trying to market this. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's a major. Uh, motivation for them, of course. Yeah, and I just simply don't think they would have gotten kids' attention with uh, Wreck-It Ralph. The, and the the track. Now, <laughs> right. now the next track was it. Okay. Weird. Weird is the best way for me to describe it. I did not like it. It was very, very spliced and broken up. But I'm not going to say that I didn't like it. Because as this is basically a compilation of arcade themes since the origin of arcade yeah. themes. It's called Life in the Arcade. And it's essentially as if you were panning from arcade cabinet to arcade cabinet. It yeah. plays Donkey several 30-second It wasn't actual tracks. It was... Henry Jackman's interpretation of these classic games. Right. But they don't really tie together in any way, no. shape, or form. It's The track itself is a compilation. Yes. And take that or leave it. I, I was forgivable. I, I forgave it because yeah, it's I, arcade. I, I Arcades to like tend to be very short, uh, straightforward themes that don't last anywhere beyond you know, 10, 15 seconds. So it was suitable here. Starting here and then it gets, it, it gets exponentially better or worse, depending on how you look at it as you go through this, is... You know, it's a good thing that you're listening to the song and you can picture the scenes from a movie. But it's also a bad thing because you're listening to the songs and picturing the scenes from a movie. What I mean by that is, I like soundtracks to be able to stand on their own. I like to be able to picture the movie with them, but I also... You want to be able to play it, like, independently in your car, wherever, and just enjoy it for the music 
as it is. As the music. And some of the songs have that. Like, Wreck-It Ralph is a track I liked and I could probably enjoy on its own. However, as we go... Life in the Arcade kind of broke it up, but, but, Jumped Ship. Jumping Ship. Jumping Ship actually built upon the previous track. It did. And and it really did start getting the ball rolling on this. This this was 8-bit... This was electronica. It helped. That was the it, developmental action of the of the film. Yeah. Because after all, if, if you're following the movie here, this is when the character first makes his major decision to uh, to depart his his home yeah. and move his life along. So there's, there's a lot of a lot of tense uh, themes here. There's progression in the in the progression song in the song. It, it is the developmental section of the entire soundtrack. But it was a little bit abrupt, yeah. the ending. I, I was and not a fan of that. also, getting into uh, Rocket Fiasco, which is track 10. My biggest problem with Rocket Fiasco is it's a six-minute track almost. and But it's a six-minute track composed of many tracks. Like, you can't... If you were listening to this without looking at the at wherever you're listening to it at, you'd think it's a bunch of separate tracks, and it's not. It's Rocket- kind of just... A bunch of stuff smushed together. Rocket Fiasco basically confirmed the issues that I had with Life in the Arcade, but it was not forgivable because I couldn't make the excuse of it being, you know, arcade themes. It was properly composed, but still splotchy. It was a variety of villain themes, almost. Yeah, there's something about it just did not float The problem with Rocket Fiasco is that it's a point in the movie where Rocket Ralph decides he's going to get his medal. So it's it's not just him getting the medal, it's... It's encompassing a story of him climbing the building, him getting the medal. Spoilers. The this is all about out. spoilers. This I should is, hope you you this know this movie's that been out now. for two months. If you haven't seen it, too bad. <laughs> and he goes. We're to, not nice, are we? <laughs> look, if the movie had come out last week, I get it. But <laughs> you're gonna sit and listen to this podcast, right? Spoilers. Honestly, be if someone complains about. Me spoiling the movie for him. At least I know somebody's listening. <laughs> Please uh, keep going. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, and then but then it also encompasses him getting the medal, then screwing up and releasing the bugs, and then escaping in the rocket and almost crashing. Like there was too many, too much stuff going on in this track. Now here's where I started noticing. I wanted. Uh, we we made a lot of allusions while listening to this to other soundtracks. Specifically, I wanted to talk about. Star Wars Imperial March theme, which was a score. It was a long song that they created. That's and the tradition. Well, actually, come to think of it, at that particular time, he had actually revived it because since then, that hadn't really been done since earlier movies of like the 30s, 40s, 50s. But in the 60s and 70s, there started to be this phase where they actually were moving towards soundtrack territory. Then Star Wars brought it back and did the full score. And the front to back. Thing. And then they just take parts of it, which are all related, right. and put it throughout which the Which is films. a separate job. The editor, not the composer. This was the opposite. This seemed to be the same thing, all rolled into one. It, one guy doing one job that was... Uh, the they, movie laid out what he was going to do. It's, this like was he, clearly, it's like he was giving the titles of the tracks and said, fill in the blanks. Well, it's, it was cl- this was clearly written to reflect specific scenes of the movie. This wasn't an overall score that was one long song that was chopped up and inserted in the movie. This was clearly, he wrote sections and scores for each scene, not the movie as a whole. Well, kids' movies can be kind of sporadic. Like yes. The scenes can go, you know, one scene to the next. They're very fast these days, very yeah. fast-paced, and the music seemed to reflect that, yeah. for better or for worse. I don't necessarily think it's that bad of a thing. I just think in this track specifically, there was a lot more change than I expected. 
But well, thinking about the scene, while, it reflects the, the scene very well. While we're doing this, though, the, uh, it's hard to talk about the soundtrack without you know bringing some critiques back to the film itself. Of course, this is not a film review, but often you are looking at the whole entire product. Yeah. So it's not just how the music works, it's how it all works together. It'd be the same if we, listened to a con- if we were listening to Pink Floyd's The Wall. You know... There's the, a story. Yeah, and that very right. much affects that album. Right, so I'm tying that in here specifically to this track because during Rocket Fiasco, uh, like Matt said, he's he's on his way to get the medal. And everything seems to progress very, very quickly. He gets that medal pretty quick as far as the whole arc of the film is concerned because yeah. it's, it, it's, it's just the point that he, that he gets it. Yeah. You know, the the main plot comes later. Yeah, this is main, just the, that. The, the main plot was not for him to get right. the medal. It's the, re, the the redemption and acceptance after getting the medal. So this was is the kind story. of a very, very small story within a story. And yeah. that's why I think it appears so sporadic. Because it's like, you know, it's six minutes long, but he had to get a lot done within that six minutes, which is why I think it seems all over the place. In that six minutes, it's... Uh, the pitfalls of the battle when he looks like he's not going to make it. It's the hope. It's the drive. It's the climbing, and then finally the victory. And that's yeah. why it's just it's hard to get that all within six minutes. Yeah. But we do have a, a solid track after this. Vanellope von Schweetz is the name of the track, and it's of course when he first meets Vanellope von Schweetz in in Sugar Rush. Um, this 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 was I loved because I favorite saw... track on the album. I saw a. I, this was. This is Jerry's theme from Tom and Jerry. Yeah. This is the little bugger who is nice and sweet one minute and a mm-hmm. total tune. Terror. A total tune the next. Yeah. Looney it, bouncing off the walls. Yet you really can't blame him because <laughs> there's an innocence about it. And it was. It was. I loved it. It was great. It, it did everything you wanted it to do. The, the character is so defined. By this one track, mm-hmm. I, I simply do not think it could have done a better job than that. And yeah. alone, if you treat it without the movie, it's really, really gorgeous. And different, the most different thing in the entire soundtrack, in my opinion. The, the it's so spacious. There's just, like, from one moment to the next, it's kooky, mysterious. The, the interesting thing about this track, and, and something I'm now noticing also, is this track, Wreck-It Ralph, and King Candy, they're the only th- three tracks that are a the the characters themes and are and are so much more specific and well made than a lot of the other not well made but clearer than a lot of the other tracks because yes. they're about those characters they actually do personify a specific a specific type of individual in each of the tracks and they all very much, I'm actually a little disappointed that there wasn't a, a fixed felix song i mean i guess because he wasn't really the main character he was a supporting character whereas whereas vanellope wreck-it ralph and king candy were the main protagonist and antagonist characters. You know, uh, Fix-It Felix was kind of just there to foil Wreck-It Ralph. Right. I, even, even amongst those three tracks, though, I, I'd still say that this gets my vote overall because musically it's just so unique. And everything, something... everything else on this entire soundtrack is so fast-paced and all over the place. It's here one minute, it's here the next. And this track just took its time. Mm. It was like the only point in the movie where everything just seemed to slow down. I think it's not, it's definitely not my favorite track. I do like it. My favorite track comes a few tracks later, and I'll explain why uh, when we get to it. But um, the next track, Royal Raceway, I think had some of the stronger imagery, especially if you're a video game fan. Because Royal Raceway, I don't know if Steve can speak too much to this, but I know John can. When I hear Royal Raceway, I think Mario Kart immediately. Just the sound. It's not just Mario Kart. Uh, there's There's... 
Gran Turismo. I mean, you feel this was, racing game. This was everything from Excite Bike onward. This yeah. was a racing game. This set a pace. This got your heart pumping. The same way you would have put the quarter in and and gone up against head to head with other guys. It was it was solid. See, I agree with you for the intro. The first and it lost part, it towards the end. It lost it completely. It went toward the serious tone again. It's just like, of course, there's going to be a, a tense point in a race. You know, I accept that. But it the the development of the track was just a little bit too splotchy. Hmm. Uh, it just uh, it brought it, out that problem again. It, it seems to be a theme running through the soundtrack. And I, a bit. I, this one, I noticed that the good part, the solid part in the beginning, electronica. The later part, pure orchestra. I uh, this is where I'm seeing a lot of orchestra work. I'm really not liking. This musician seems to do his best work when he's not relying on a full orchestra. When he's actually integrating newer ideas into this. I want to supplement that point because I, I defend the orchestral work here. I think it's actually marvelously done, but I do agree that it's not particularly well placed. Or this is this is what I started to say in the beginning that this is where you get into you know when you get really serious tracks, it starts to sound so dark that it's just disconnected from the theme, which we have to forget. We're talking about video games here. It's kind of lighthearted, and I kind of wanted to maintain that lighthearted feel. And if you were going to go through a dark section, which of course every movie has to have the the pitfall, then you might as well do it with video game music. And I didn't get that. I, I, I agree with John that it should he probably should have continued that uh, that motif. And the this darkness is present in Cupcake Breakout, which I just wrote down ominous and ostentatious. That's what I got Cupcake from Cupcake Breakout is when when um Yeah that was a lot more developmental also. It was a quick one-minute track. It was clearly just there to supplement the actions going on on screen there. But it was a one-minute track from, like, the guts of a solid piece. Yeah. So brief. And that's that's the problem. That's, uh... You know, I love the swooping orchestral scores, but I don't think they're particularly well-placed. And I love his, uh... His synth, um... 8-bit fusion work. But the problem is, they offer tiny little ideas that just don't get developed enough. He goes to the next idea before you even knew that it happened. But track 14 is, to me, one of, I think, the strongest tracks on the record for me because Candy Vandal's track 14 is the scene in the movie when when um, all the other racers team up on Vanellope and wreck her cart. Listening to that track, though, I don't necessarily picture that scene... I wouldn't necessarily picture that scene if I hadn't seen the movie, but I would definitely picture something terrible is about to go down. Something awful and mean is going to happen. It has the sinister-sounding overtone, that I think really connected with me for the track. I can't say 14 by itself. I have to say that 14, 15, 16 together worked very well. Because 14 started with, uh, first, the synthesizers back. You know what, that's a good point, because all those three tracks uh, incorporate different um, sinister themes. They almost could have just been one giant thing. And there was one thing... Black didn't have any sinister themes. Actually, um... Oh, sorry, it's 14, 15. Mm, I could even I'm gonna make the that comparison, but there was something in uh, Candy Vandals. There was a guitar work that I loved. It was brief once again, but it was it was dark guitar. This and was it, the thing that shined out. This was his obviously his strong point. He uses uh, he uses what initially sounds like synth video game background tracks, old school synth video game tracks, but he has this guitar undertone. 
which really supports it very well for the action-y genre, to take you out of the interactivity more to the uh, the exposition. Right. And it, it definitely continued into Turbo Flashback, which of course is the flashback scene where you find out what happened to Turbo and what going Turbo means, which they mentioned in the whole first half of the movie. This was a solid malice song. Yeah, like you could yeah. tell this is represent- This is setting up a villain who's disappeared, but you know is going to play an important part somewhere. Yes, there's severe foreshadowing in this track, and you yeah, can hear it in the have, music. They have moments where it just gets quiet, and it almost reflects the things that I liked in Penelope Von Sweets, which I like when things take their time. And they emphasize the sinister when they get slow. It's like a moment of contemplation. I think it adds to it. And I will say, this is why I, I put Laffy Taffy in this little trio. Laffy Taffy, track 16, goes the next step and actually shows a turning point when this fear and this unhappiness and this anger and malice is being overcome by something. And it's not fully explained in the track, but it, it's, it's starting to turn around. And it's starting to get more lightheaded, wondrous, almost discovery style. It, it, it was a, a solid part to this trio. But these are three separate songs, and they're three brief, brief little tracks. Yeah. It, it's hard to, to grapple with what's happening here because, again, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have a center. It's all over the place. I, it, these are our examples of what make me wish it was a score. Just a complete product. Because they would have worked together. They would have worked together very well. And I feel like they may have even been written as one piece and divided up. Maybe forced to have it broken up. Like like I said, uh, these days, I suppose developers or um, animators are taking much more heavy-handed now that things are being forced to, to fit what is already on screen. Uh, which... You know, intuitively, seems like the way to go about it, but I, I think there's something to be said for that that secondary process of having the composer envision in his mind what's going on and then fusing it together with uh, with the director. Yeah, uh, I think that that's starting to get a little bit lost. You should tell your composer in 25 words or less what to do and see what he does. Exactly, because then you're going to get such a fusion of imagination going well, that on. That might not have been what they wanted too. I mean, this this could be this might not have been Disney's heavy hand either. It could be. I mean, keep in mind, we're talking about video games here. And especially early video games were bite-sized chunks of awesome. You know, the original Mario <laughs> Brothers, the original Donkey Kong, you played stage to stage. It wasn't this long, sweeping thing. Each stage had a little 8-bit tune. They were short tracks. And it was, you know, jump from stage to stage to stage. These 30 seconds to a minute, depending on how good you were at getting through Donkey Kong. Yeah, Sections. We, we can't even say this 100%. We don't know the... Uh, the whole story of the it's compositional the technique here, I but it, it I, I, this is how it comes off to us. Right. There are definitely problems I see, and I see them, but I, I for, I'm willing to forgive some of it because I do think some of it's intentional. I don't think it's just a laziness or a lack of, uh, of, yes, but, of foresight. But Matt, going back to what you said earlier, this does hurt the ability to listen to this Absolutely. independently without the film. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, moving on, though, track 17, A Minute to Win It. Obviously, this is about this this is the track during the mini game when they're building the cart. It feels very rushed, but it's supposed to be. This track it's definitely intentional because you're this doing is the, the frantic mini game. Quick, yes. what wheels? Wheels? We need wheels. Oh no, wait, we need decorations. Like this was supposed <laughs> to be frantic and quick and supposed to end abruptly. Uh, techno's back. Um, there was no flow on purpose. It actually worked very well with that that lack of flow from section to section. Uh, the guitar was back. I mean, 
This was what I was looking for with this guy. I mean, it was it, I enjoyed it. Brief, but I really, really like this little glimpse of something he got really complicated very quickly. So yeah, that's what I've been talking about. Last several album reviews, I'm always willing to be forgivable of those moments. The moments which are just so awesome, you gotta take points off for not developing it. Yeah. You know, that was my issue with Flying Lotus. <laughs> The the infamous. Then now moving on to track 18, which we can definitely all agree is probably one of the more schizophrenic tracks on the record. It was, all cohesion was lost here. All cohesion in the it track was, itself. You know, it this started is, very... this is the signature track that it, that shows he's forgotten where he is. He's completely forgotten. He, he's putting everything all rolled into one. We're going from like an impressionistic Debussy intro to, into pop. Into this little quirkiness. I don't uh, even know what those words mean. <laughs> these are all the things that I'm much. seeing in Penelope's Hideout. All of them. All of them are present. What's pop? Uh, the the pop from earlier on. The from the the exposition of this entire soundtrack. Steve, John uh, was being facetious. What is pop? What is pop? You want me to answer? You really no, want me no, to answer? No, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's keep recording for another hour. <laughs> let's keep plowing. All so right. the next we'll track, get back to this in two days. The next track, "Messing with the Program," is kind of uh, this kind of mysterious and, and and kind of fun but short little track. This was obviously to reflect the the um, the point in the movie when you're seeing King Candy mess with the code. I'm it's, so tired of saying fun short little track. But that's what it, that's what they've all um, been. It, I mean, that's well with messing with the program. I wouldn't use that particularly to describe it. I would say that it, it tried to be sinister, because, of course, right. it that's, that's you know, the it's a sinister reflecting. goal. But to me, it was kind of plainly sinister. Yeah. It didn't really have much in, uh, uniqueness to it. It was... Like, it, it was not, you know... It was mwahaha. Yeah. And that's like, you're not going to really be terrified by that. No. The thing is, sinister has been done in so many different films, in so many different ways, that it... When something just runs together, and I, there's nothing unique about it, that I, I don't see the villain when I listen to it, that's a problem. Or see even a villain. I yeah. mean, this was this was henchman level of villainy, which is terrible. It really, every, the henchmen die within seconds, always. They don't get names, they get numbers, yeah. or just a colored shirt. I mean, this is the sort of deal we were dealing yeah, with. I, I mean, just, just to emphasize this, when you hear the Imperial March... You see Darth Vader. Yeah, you oh, see the Emperor. You see stormtroopers walking by in line That's right. with blasters drawn. But I, I do not see um, anything special. The, the, but, but this also the wasn't. King. But, but this wasn't supposed to be for the King because track twenty is when you really get a sense of the King. And this was a solid track. Yes, this yeah. this is very much you Certainly. you you get the King, especially going past this and then coming back to it. You know when you find you know who the King is. It really. This track really defines his character for sure, and uh, this it has a very somber quality to it. Also. Like almost a tragic kind of like you, you should feel bad for this person. The, this is the point, though, of course, where uh, and I think this this part should be narrated. And so another spoiler coming ahead. This is the point when the king takes it upon himself to tell Ralph that our main character or secondary character Penelope will die when she leaves the game. Well, so that she it can't puts, leave it the puts game. It puts it all on yeah. the main character. It puts there, it all on Ralph. He's trying to do this for her own good. And there is an undertone in this theme yeah. that you hear the sadness, but you hear something else. 
this this is not one of this is not a short simple track. This is a solid few minutes long. You get yeah. get into it. And it leads this, this this um this cured my earlier issues to yeah. be honest. And it really leads well into the next track, which I get teary eyed hearing. This was the quintessential platoon track. Yeah, this this was... is the point where I thought that it had gotten a little bit darker than it should have, but it's still great. But it, it, this is the part where Mufasa dies. This is yeah. bro- broken carded. This is there's a, a a rise in the song where you feel Ralph's hands coming up to destroy Vanellope's carts. Like you can see it, yeah. and it was done so well in this track. Yeah, it's just it's beautiful and I, horribly. I, I tragic. agree, it was an amazing uh, transition. Those two tracks work. Intensely well together. Yeah, this is yeah. the part where the person hurting you is saying it's for your own good, good. and that's and it was always worse. Yeah. And this is the realization, and then the aftermath, the contemplation, yeah. everything, all that rolled into one. Yep. Um, and and even track twenty two, which is the first time where the track clearly has a cut in it, showing that it's two different tracks and reflects it, is out of the penthouse, off the off to the race, which is this. Ralph dealing with his actions track. Yeah, this is an interesting choice, because this is the first time I actually see that it's quite aware of itself, mm-hmm. that the fact that uh, there's a lot of splicing going on here, so it's, 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 there's a slash right there in the middle. This was actually, I believe, one of the few scenes in the movie where it actually is a continuous, it's a montage, a continuous montage that is supposed to go from two, from, from something that's one way to the opposite. Yeah. yeah. This is a time he, where... The music isn't supposed to flow through in one scene. It's supposed to break. It's supposed to cut. And it does it. It yeah. does it fairly well. Yeah, it did do that well. But at this point, honestly, at this point in the album, as I'm listening to it, I'm just getting bored. I'm just getting a little too schizophrenic back and forth. There comes a point when you've had too many uh, tugs back and forth, one side or the other, where it's just hard to find that center again. And I'm, I'm losing myself in this whole chaos of these 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 little scores with big pieces with little scores. Yeah, yeah I... It, it makes... It goes back to the original thing. It makes me wish that it had been organized into one solid piece. Yeah. Um, it, it could have used more composition rather than splicing. But, Sugar Rush Showdown. So this song was pretty much the quintessential beginning of the end, and it was very much a kart racer... Uh, this is the stage montage music. If, well, if not, there's yeah. gonna be battle music here, yeah. this is it. Yeah, you it's just the start of it. Yeah, you just OD'd on Pixie Sticks. That's this song. It yeah. was great. I loved it. I got that, that, that's how you do battle music in this movie. Yes, that, well, this and track, Sugar Rush. This and track twenty four were the quintessential uh, final battle tracks. Especially "You're My Hero" track twenty four because this is the song playing when you have the final battle against King Candy. Uh, finger quotes. Final battle. And and you really get this, you know, this build and this build to this huge moment that that comes down with this soft this soft part in the middle. Yeah, twenty three, you're fighting up the mountain t- through the mooks, and twenty four, you are fighting the boss. That's right. And it's you got one life left, no more quarters, no more continues, and it it kind of portrayed that. It kind of portrayed that finality. Certainly, at musical note, at this point, I distinctly heard some influence from Vangelis. So, we're talking early techno bringing into the mix here. I, I can, I'm, a, I'm starting to see Henry uh, Jackson's Jackman's influence. The energy's back, the electronica's back, the guitar works back. I mean, this guy's doing what I like the best about him. It's, it's got the new on top of the old. It's a fusion, again. Yep, and totally. Then, he's good. And then that's <laughs> totally shown in the final track as well, track 25, the arcade finale, which is the uh, wrap-off. 
That's the life is beautiful moment. Yeah. Everything's this is pretty good. Yeah, this Can't is Wreck-It Ralph finally coming to terms and expressing how he came to terms. Story and over. It's, and it's my favorite track because it has all my favorite parts of this score. It has little bits of everything I liked and nothing I didn't. It had the happy, the sad, the contemplated. It had everything. You know, this is a proper... Often final tracks, uh, when it comes to movie soundtracks, are done very similar as the overture. The overture is supposed to be a uh, prelude, foreshadowing all the things that are to come. Uh, little splices of every single theme that are supposed to be interspersed together, because yeah. that's that's setting you up for the film, giving you a taste of what's to come. And then the end uh, track is kind of uh, bookending it in a very similar way. So even though we never really got the overture here, he's doing that at the end. Yeah. That's the way he structured it. It was pretty pretty good. Yeah. And I think you said that the end was not so much a period as it was in the ellipsis. ellipsis. It was that credits rolling, okay, you can leave whenever you feel like it. Yeah. And and also this movie is clearly, yeah. you know, knowing Disney, I'm sure there will be a record Ralph too, especially considering how well it did. Um, and this is this is kind of wrap up of just life is good and there could be more. I don't want a Wreck It Ralph. 2. I don't need a Wreck It Ralph two. I have a problem with sequels, and I think this is a very good standalone film. I agree. Uh, okay, Aladdin two, Lion King two. Yeah. And I don't like no, that, what are you though. talking about? I'm not a fan. Oh, Return of Jafar was great. Return no, of Jafar was good. No, good, but oh, it's it not Aladdin. It was not Aladdin. It wasn't as solid as the musical in the first Aladdin, but I believe this. I, I think I the storyline was just as strong. I don't know. If, I, if I'm stacking up all the sequels against each other, that's not up there. Toy Story not. 2. Toy Story 3. <laughs> See, that's one. That's, that, there's definitely Toy Story good, 3 good is still my favorite in the trilogy. Toy Story 3 was fantastic. That's very rare for and a that's third because, installment to but be that's the because, favorite. And I'll say this a thousand times to anyone who will listen. Toy Story 3 wasn't made for the kids today. Toy Story 3 was made for me when I was a kid... When Toy Story 1 came out. And I agree wholeheartedly. It was meant for adults to cry. That's what That's it was pretty much what it was. But getting yeah. back to the album review. Um, so, so, as a whole, I feel like this, this was a very strong soundtrack. I believe, overall, it really conveyed Henry Jackman's just... You know, his, his his talent for putting these big soundtracks together. Just, you know, I named a few earlier that he's done. Uh, X-Men First Class and Kick-Ass, which were fantastic soundtracks with great music. Which, um, uh, Kick-Ass was... Yes, no, uh, now I remember. Yeah, that was a solid soundtrack. And so was X-Men First Class. I played Magneto's theme before, and John said, well, they played the song throughout the movie. And I said, because X-Men First Class was about Magneto. Of course they played it through the whole movie. And they should have played some of these songs throughout the whole movie. Yeah. I would argue, though, that some of those were not the most memorable for me. I don't, I don't think of X-Men when I hear those soundtracks. They were... I would be bold enough to say they were standard action movie soundtracks. Mm, I disagree, and I think you need to listen to them again. They were good. They just weren't indicative. They weren't signature to. I don't. I don't feel those characters. Ma- Magneto's theme. Whenever I hear it, I think of Magneto. I can't help but think of him. Mm, agree to disagree. That's fair. Um, <laughs> I, I, I will, I'll. To credit to this soundtrack here, like I said, I feel Penelope. Right. I feel uh, Penelope. Penelope. <laughs> I For feel vanilla. Um, yes, because it's sugar. We got it, John. Because, oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> um, certainly feel Ralph. Yes. I he, think, he bookends the thing pretty well. I think that the soundtrack might have benefited from, and something I might do as a personal project, um, being in chronological order. Some of the songs were definitely taken out of order to put the kind of bubblegum candy stuff at the front to get the kids hooked, mm-hmm. which, which is fair marketing, but I think it might have actually benefited from having the 
score songs interspersed with the the written songs. The I agree. Songs. I'm kind of indifferent on that one because but, sometimes you just got to say marketing works. But take taking the soundtrack as it is, I think that it was very well made. But um, since I started last week, we'll start with Steve. What did you think of the soundtrack as a whole? As a whole. The whole rating? The whole rating. The rating. I think this is a solid four. Okay. I, um, I'm not mind-blowingly uh, overwhelmed, but I definitely feel the film. Like, there are a lot of moments in here that um, pretty much say Disney still has it yeah. in every way. Yeah. I mean, they know when to make you cry, and this goes for everyone. Uh, they know when to make the kids really excited, yeah. uh, give them a fun time. Um, that's not just for the movie. That's certainly with their choice of composer. I think Henry Jackman, in general, did a pretty good job here. I, As much as I want there to be a, a full-fledged score, um, I accept that it's it's not necessary to make the film. And I am judging the soundtrack uh as it pertains to the film. When it goes to listening it independently, that's a few points off. I, I would probably take specific tracks out, but not listen to it completely front to back. I would okay. definitely be skipping around in here. But there's enough of them that are solid, and enough moments that stack up that I gotta say, it, it's it's totally good. It is better than average, okay. that's for certain. Because there's a lot of forgettable stuff out there, and this is not one of them. Okay. I was getting a little bit too much blending of what felt like uh, tired tired sounds in a few of the tracks. Uh, it was blending a little bit too much together where it was... It hurt it in the score. And the, the, the first six, seven tracks, the soundtrack, the actual songs, is just diverted from the rest of the album. This should have been a 2CD, or should have been properly, thematically pr- placed. It is a problem, given but, 24 tracks. But it is... A time. Even, 25. 25, even, yeah. Even the, 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 the takes from other people, even even the, 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 the steals of Rihanna and, you know, Celebration, it's a lot of good stuff. It's not yeah. bad. None of it's actually bad. It's just not developed in so many places, and the songs I really like are all the actual song songs, not the comp, not the scores. That stuff I really like. Uh, there was nothing solid all the way through. Three five. It's not bad. There's nothing truly bad that I can go and say that shouldn't have been made. That shouldn't have been made. But there's nothing good enough, cohesive enough as a whole to really put it in the four territory for me. Yeah, this is true. I, I suppose this is one of those rare cases where uh, the 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 separate, the disparate content uh, overtook cohesion for me. For me, the I would agree with Steve. The soundtrack is definitely a strong four, um, and my reasoning for it is for me, in a soundtrack, of course, I need a listenability outside of just watching the movie to enjoy it. And m- my not penultimate for soundtracks, but definitely one of my highest rated soundtracks, my five territory soundtracks, is Scott Pilgrim. And it's not Scott Pilgrim level, because Scott Pilgrim is one of those soundtracks that was clearly com- uh, comp- compilated. Compilated? Is compilated a word? Compiled. It is now. It yeah. is now. Co- compiled for... I've heard it both ways. <laughs> yeah, of course you have. <laughs> compiled to give you a specific feel and sense for in both watching the movie and listening to the soundtrack separately. 
in Wreck-It Ralph, there's definitely some tracks here where I wasn't sure what scene they were from. Some of it blurred a little bit, but... And he's seen it three times, and he's seen it very often three times, yeah. very recently. But, <laughs> as a whole, I still think it works very well together. If it were up to me and I were the producer, I might have interspersed the first half with the second half, personally. But, again, understanding why it was set up the way it was, I'm willing to forgive it. But But I loved... I loved a lot of the music on it. There are very few tracks I would skip listening to it. I would definitely listen to it outside of watching the movie. And again, most importantly, being a soundtrack for a movie, it works with the movie. You know, and that that was a big thing. Um, so for me, it's definitely a four. I really like it. I think Henry Jackman's a, a, a very, very good composer. And I think he's done some brilliant work. And I think this definitely is a, is a notch on the positive side for him. It's definitely... Very well made. I just kind of wish it kind of strung together a bit more coherently. But uh, but that said, I again still really like it. Recommend it. I recommend the movie. He's, he's a competent fellow. Yes. That's what we're getting at. Yeah. <laughs> Th- there's definitely worse you can find as far as music and movies. So definitely this works very well. Um, and it's a fun soundtrack. Simply, it's definitely f- a fun listen. A good portion of it, anyway. Except for the platoon part. I'm sorry, but you're sick if you're having fun during that. No, that's definitely sad. (laughs) Um, But sometimes you want to feel sad. Exactly. That's true. That's that's true. Sometimes you do. Um, But if you're jumping up and down in front of dead bodies, that's probably not good. Not good. Not good. (laughs) But I think this was also an interesting experience on the podcast because we hadn't really done a soundtrack before. And soundtracks, you've got to kind of follow a different set of rules than with just a standard album. Arc is important, but I mean, it's got to have arc. It's a soundtrack. Like... There's yeah, a story. I could think of a couple. There's a big of... gap between four and five. Yeah, to be honest, it's, it's tough. Bit. It's tough to really find a five soundtrack because I mean, it's tough to make a five soundtrack. I mean, <laughs> Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars. Maybe Lord of the Rings. I'd have to listen to it again. It, Lawrence of Arabia. Ooh, that's a good one. There you go. Gorgeous. There you go. Um, but uh, what I'm saying is, no, no, no. Let's just shout out names. Come on, come on. I gotta go a few more. Keep going. Um, I would definitely say, I don't know, I, I really want to say the original Batman. The original Batman. Mm. Ooh. But it was in a mix of score and soundtrack. I'm a Batman Returns guy. Batman Returns had a very good score too, but it was a little more quirkier Danny Elfman then. I like quirky Danny I know. Elfman. Five, five star soundtrack, Fear and Loathing. Fear and Loathing, yes, absolutely. While Ooh. we're on quirky Elfman, Beetlejuice. Oh, Beetlejuice is a fantastic soundtrack, yes. One of my all-time favorites, yeah, to be honest. Definitely. As much as I even acknowledge like Star Wars as the yeah. soundtrack, I, I there's something so unique about uh, Beetlejuice, I can't even put my finger but on I, it. Actually, I have put my finger on it before, and it's been said on previous podcasts that I think he's the only one that pulled off comedic macabre. Yes, but going, back, but going back to what John said about Fear and Loathing, the thing that's great about the Fear and Loathing soundtrack is Fear and Loathing is about two things. Drugs and Vegas. And the music on the entire soundtrack themed are either about drugs or Vegas. Well, see, what Fear and Loathing has going when it, when it comes to my stuff, I grew up on that music. I love every single one of those songs to begin with. Yeah. I have them associated with a great actor in a great movie. I thought the movie was really good. I, I I would have to give the soundtrack an honest listen. And, he, and these are songs I heard so many previous times and gave me something new to think about when I yeah. think listen to them, Another, which is great. Another totally. five. I would I would go as far as say the soundtrack is short, but it's almost a five star. It's so close. And regardless of how you feel about the movie, the soundtrack sets the perfect mood for the movie and for just as a soundtrack. 
The Sucker Punch soundtrack? <laughs> the Sucker Punch soundtrack is really great because not only does it have the lead actress singing two or three songs on the soundtrack and their covers, but this kind of overall world that you're supposed to be immersed in with the soundtrack, the soundtrack really gets you there. But it's a seven-track soundtrack. Seven tracks. That's so short for a soundtrack. Well, what's interesting about Sucker Punch is that it was basically, because of the artistic nature of the movie itself, by re-recording, by doing covers of these songs, they were reimagining familiar music in a brand new light and giving you something new to associate it with. Yeah. Mm. So it was, it was, I mean, some of the scenes are really off there, and the music, the way it was uh, covered, was a Kind of out there too. Well, that's an interesting use of before. I mean, I'm always intrigued with different ways to envision the sound. These are covers, yeah. And an original score like Star Wars is just completely new. And now I have to. We have to go back. Um, Scott Pilgrim was songs that was technically an original score for the most part, which is a weird. It's, so the it's interesting the thing. The interesting thing yeah, about Scott Pilgrim is that Scott Pilgrim, the music that was played by Sex Bobomb, the fictional band in the movie, were actually songs played by the actual actors and actresses, and the they were the songs were written by Beck, but performed by the actors and actresses. And even more interestingly, is the bands featured on the soundtracks on the soundtrack are bands mentioned by the characters in the original graphic novels. Because the creator grew up in Canada, and these are bands from Canada. And yeah, that a, were actually featured on the, sub, on the soundtrack, bringing it full circle. Hmm. It was, well, I, it I'm was a fan a, of the hybrids, personally. It yeah. was a little bit of everything. It was great. We, we've gone through this before uh, when it comes to hybrids, and uh, two of my favorite hybrids are Eternal Sunshine. Yes. Um, and the other one was Rushmore. Rushmore was very had a very good yep. hybrid kind of soundtrack as well. Composers tied it all together, but a lot of uh, a lot of artists that were just brought in in really appropriate places. I'm trying to think of, of of movies I've seen recently. And actually, scores. If we're going to talk about pretty scores too, let's not forget about um, Miyazaki and the Miyazaki films. I mean, true, they're, Totoro. They're, they're not to be overlooked, certainly. Yeah, um, Totoro and and Howl's Moving Castle and and Spirited Away. These all have fantastic. Fantastic scores. And, Here's one. And they're owned by Disney now, too, Studio Ghibli. Here's one for you. Or partnered with Disney. Brazil. I don't really know Brazil. I don't know that I've seen that. I have not seen it. Ah, uh, so at some point this will have to be fixed. Yeah. And I might pull, well, when we get onto retro track, whenever we get there, at some point I'm going to have to pull this on you. Because Brazil is such an oddball film. It's by the same guy, Terry Gilliam, the same guy who was in the Monty Python series, who did sure. the art for Monty Python, and he directed the whole thing. And uh, I forget exactly who did the soundtrack itself, but it it is so abstract. It, it, at one moment, it's like the kind... It has themes you'd almost expect out of Star Wars. Right. And yet, it, it's it's totally ironic in other moments. It, it's like post-Star Wars. And actually talking <laughs> Yeah, about, I just said that. Talking about scores that were really sweeping and emotional also, let's not forget the Harry Potter movies, especially the later ones had really ambitious and beautiful scores, especially seven's part, 7 Part 1 and 7 Part 2. Well, the Harry Potter movies, because of its growing popularity, had much bigger budgets later on. Yeah. So they could truly explore aspects both in... Is that the... John Williams too? No. No, that was... Uh, it was not John Williams. I don't remember the John Williams. It was another one of the greats. He, he's a big one. It escapes me right now. 
I could walk over to my computer while you guys ramble aimless, aimlessly for a little bit and look it up since I have it. We're no, gonna no, ramble. No, no. We're gonna we can tell the audience to do that. Hey, right now, look it up. Do it. There. See, someone probably did it already. But we are gonna ramble aimlessly right now. Um, yeah, I'm I'm cool with this. But <laughs> but no, I mean. The thing I like about soundtracks, and I mean it bleeds into games now, especially as well. Video games, have, most video games have become huge movies on a much larger scale of hours. Read my articles, I explain that. But, Bob, Halo. But like Halo and Mass Effect have <laughs> these huge scores and songs that you, when you hear them, it's so specifically those games. And you don't think of anything else. The Elder Scrolls well, series, the I, Final I, I Fantasy will... series, there's a lot Final Fantasy of is definitely work. Weird. Put into these soundtracks, but these scores. Some of it is definitely up to interpretation. Like sure. just what we occurred uh, with X Men right there. I don't really hear X Men when I hear that soundtrack particularly. I think I'd have to listen to it many times before I actually did, you know, would would actually have it sunken in that it actually is X Men. But at some point, obviously, you're not going to forget. But still, sometimes you just don't feel. But it. it's the I'm not saying specifically X Men. For me though, because the theme came up so often and was so well cut, like a Star Wars movie in that film. Every time you heard that that song that was Magneto's theme, you thought of Magneto. Very much like the Doc Ock song, although I know have, you have much more Danny Elf, attachment to Danny Elfman, you do like his work. Mm-hmm. When I told you about the Doc Ock theme from Spider-Man 2... Yes, that was a good could, example. And you couldn't remember it, but as soon as I played it, and the heavy... You know, kicked in. See, Matt absolutely loves to bring this up with this example just because it got stuck in my brain there. Yeah. Some and, stuff is subconscious, and but other, proved, others are totally subjective. And, right. and it proved Matt so right, and he loves to be this. It doesn't happen Matt often really enough. does love to be right. But, but I, um, I do, considering it happens so infrequently. <laughs> no, there are... Um, there are definitely songs that will always stick in your head versus others that don't. Well, the fact of the matter is this. Uh, when you're talking about... When you're talking about a little bit more obscure, slightly... Well, I'm not, I'm not going to say they're obscure, but they're not in the top of the charts. Everybody knows Star Wars. Everybody knows Lawrence Arabia. These are the ones that are... Uh, Gone with the Wind is also up there. The ones that are typically at the top of almost every single list as far as movie soundtracks are concerned. Right. Of course, just because they're at the top of the list, everyone is going to hear that music and relate and, it back to the film. Right. But when you're talking about stuff that's not commonly seen for the soundtrack, a little bit more for the film, the acting, the directing, the story, then you really need to come up with other criteria to promote the soundtrack. Such as, I mentioned Brazil earlier, I certainly wouldn't say, you know, the music would let you think Brazil, even though there is one track called Brazil, which I think is kind of a dead giveaway. But regardless of that, I think um, it's really about the way it's put together. Of course. And then that's... That's more crucial to your criteria than simply relatability. No, of course, and I can I can agree with that also because like for the soundtrack for the new Avengers movie, I loved the new Avengers movie. I thought I love Joss Whedon, but its soundtrack was more just a compilation of powerful songs to just pump you up. There are a few of them featured in the movie, but most of it there's not. It's not a musically driven movie. It's all about the dialogue, the pacing, the acting. Mm. You know, it was the music is there, but the music was more a service to credits and parts of the movie. Exactly, and I guess that's kind of why we're uh, making such a big deal about soundtracks uh, here in the podcast because we typically do albums. But the fact is, I, I think soundtracks that can be soundtracks judged so differently. They really can be judged on an infinite number of, of categories, yeah, and categories. sometimes I think that people don't. Uh, don't pay as much attention to it as they should. They they have made and broken films in many ways. Oh, absolutely. I Certainly many people agree that uh, with the rushed work of the first Star Wars film, uh, that is A New Hope, um, 
if it was not for John Williams' swooping score, it probably would not have done as well. As well as it did. It, it, it definitely it tied a lot of little problems. Still, one of the together. most famous scenes in movie history is Luke standing on the hill, on, yes, looking at the two setting suns, and John Williams' score just sweeping. Two, two of the three setting, setting suns. suns. There are there are three, three suns, suns around Tatooine. Oh, but anyway, <laughs> he knows the extended universe. I'm a, I'm a as a Tolkienist. I'm also a Star Warsian. Yes, I don't even know if those are words. But anyway. Um, in closing, though, I'm we make very... Up words? Gl- what? We make up words? What? Yeah. In closing, closing, I am very glad that we got to go over soundtrack. I'm hoping to do more in the future. Um, you know, it was definitely a different experience as far as breaking this down. Um, our pick for next week is John's pick. We are doing Dos by Green Day, which will hopefully redeem Uno, or at least be twice as good, which would put it probably around a two and a half. <laughs> but if the, uh, if the single is any telling, I hated the single of those. And I like I'm putting it right single. out there. I have no faith in this at all. Oh, me neither. None. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, w- I, will, I will be a good good boy, good critic. You know, I'll sit and listen to all the things that I and should do. But I, I just... I, I'm, I'm placing bets right now, you know, and I want one of you to pay me. <laughs> actually, no, you don't have to pay either, do you? None. So none of you actually, me. I'll get no one to take that bet. I won't no. say that I'm I'm faithful. I'm just going in with no expectations. <laughs> At this point, I'm... If I'm, you have no expectations, it can't be lower than that. I'm, no, I'm saying, honestly, I'm going to treat this as if it was a band I'd never heard of. Because... Yeah. Compared to the previous album, this is a band I never heard of. That may still end up disappointing you more. Yeah. Because were it not Green Day, the band you grew up with, you know. Oh, it had nothing to do with my rating. My rating was poor because it was a terrible album. It had nothing to do with That's good. the yeah. fact that it was Green Day. Just but pro- with, proving to our audience we can step outside of ourselves. With yeah. any luck, we will be pleasantly surprised. So, so yes, Dose next week. Uh, I'm excited to announce also for the end of uh, December, we are going to do a year-end, year-in, you know, review show, talk about stuff that came out this year that we did and didn't review, stuff we liked, hated, made fun of. We will be doing uh, some sort of Christmas album at Jewish Guys Out There. You do a Hanukkah album, we'll do that next year. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But there are only a handful (laughs) of Hanukkah songs, not many Hanukkah albums. Um, yeah, so, that's going to be a bit of a task. But, uh, but yeah. Maybe it'll, it'll inspire some an artist out there to compose a Hanukkah album. Uh, so you have a year, uh, whoever you are. I wouldn't hold your breath. Finkelschmitz, Feld, <laughs> Min. <laughs> wow, you yeah. went there. And on that note, um, as always, thanks for listening, guys. Please leave comments, emails, donate, that whole spiel. Um, we will see you guys we next week. We want money. Yeah. We, we will see you guys next week. That's what he's and uh, as always, music is life and life is good.